And some people think it's hurtful. Well, they told I, us that this hurt. But here's the thing. I don't give a about feelings anymore. I'm 70 I'm eight. I went to Vietnam to fight for all this. Do you think I care about some feelings? Absolutely not. One of the drivers was actually kidnapped. And uh, they got a phone call to say, we have the driver. We're not looking to harm him, but we want your van. So they took my granddad's van. Long story short, the van did explode. And it actually damaged part of that city that day. So I was fine, but I just wanted more in my life. I was so bored. I didn't like my job. And that's where I started looking for opportunities. And the big thing that I realized at this moment in time was I've got to take full responsibility for everything that's happened. If there's one thing I can tell people that changed my whole life, it has been and will always be. For a time, I worked in a bar at nighttime, so I'd work in the warehouse all day, and then I'd work in the bar for a little while in the evening. I was just a clueless dude who was working in a very basic job, and before that, I was trying to make it in the music industry. It's St. Paddy's Day, DD, it ain't TT. My name is Stephen Summers, and I'm almost 34 years old, and I'm from and live in a little town called Wexford in Ireland, which is not the center of e-commerce, but it is where I live and where I'm from. And so we run a lot of different uh, businesses at this point in time. Our main company now is Marketplace Superheroes. It's a coaching and training business where we work with people all over the world. We teach them how to sell on Amazon. We also run another company then related to that called Superhero Freight. It's a freight forwarding company service for Amazon sellers. We're looking to import typically as smaller quantities of products to North America, as well as to Europe, as well as to Australia and Canada. And uh, we also provide services for Amazon sellers with our uh, Superhero Solutions company. So we serve now uh, almost 8,000 Amazon sellers. We obviously started out as selling on Amazon, which I'm sure I'll talk about in today's show. We continue to sell on Amazon with partners now, and we are investors actually in a number of different Amazon companies as well. But I got my start selling on Amazon with my business partner, Robert Ricky. And as you can see, we've really evolved now to becoming a coaching training business as well as a service provider. And we partner with our Amazon sellers by providing freight services and stuff like that to them. And there's a lot of lessons that we've learned along the way, which I hope to share today and uh, provide some inspiration. Well, yeah, I appreciate you uh, coming in and sharing your story. You're our first guest from Ireland. So congratulations. Oh, nice one. So yeah, where in Ireland? Because I wanted to look up the city. So I mean, if anyone wanted to look it up, I always think it's interesting to hear where all of our entrepreneurs come from. Sure. So I'm from Wexford. It's in the southeast of Ireland. So it's about two hours south of Dublin. That's where I grew up and that's where I currently live. I have also lived in Northern Ireland, which is where I met my business partner, Robert Ricky. He is from Belfast. And that's where he still lives to this day. He lives in a village just outside Belfast, actually. I better not give the village away just because it's quite small. <laughs> Maybe someone will visit him there. But uh, yeah, so that's where he's from. And then really, we're a global company now. So there's people all over the world, but that's where I'm from. Yeah. And how big is your company today as far as like revenues and employees? Yeah. So this year in 2021, obviously it's not over yet. We would, we're on track to do anywhere from about 12 million to $15 million collected cash 
and that's collected cash, we would likely do maybe more like I suppose a range of sort of fourteen million to eighteen million dollars than what we call expected revenue. So that would be if people are on a payment plan or something like that for something or uh, subscriptions or whatever, and we haven't seen it all or whatever the case may be, there's always some outlying money and we collect that over time. But that's where we are now. That would comprise our coaching business, uh, Marketplace Superheroes, which also sells courses and things like that. That would also comprise our freight company, where we should ship anywhere from 6 million to about 10 million different items from China to the US. We're based in Houston, Texas there. It's about 35,000 square feet, as well as, as I mentioned, Northern Ireland for the European market, Australia, it's in Brisbane, we have a small warehouse there. And we got a small new warehouse just up in Alberta, Canada. And then finally, our services, like I mentioned. So we do things like translations, product photography for sellers, things like that. And that will kind of comprise the rest of it. We have about 75 people in the company now across the world doing all these different things. I was trying to look up because I was using your LinkedIn profile. What's the name of the freight forwarding company too? Because that might be most, I'm not going to say most useful, but you know, some people might find that interesting. And I wanted to make sure that I got that name right for that company. No problem. So that is called Superhero Freight. I wouldn't say it has a big web presence simply because that's a service that we put together. We only actually deal with the people that go through our information programs and our coaching programs. And I suppose the reason for that is quite simple in that we always have a capacity issue with our warehouses. So even in Houston, for example, I think it was about a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe maximum, we first moved into a warehouse in Houston and we thought we'd be there for a while. You know, we didn't expect that we would grow as fast as we did. But just a lot of the people going through our programs and whatnot uh, started to ship a lot more units and therefore that brought up the shipping quite considerably. So actually within a year, we had to move out of our original warehouse and we were actually very lucky because our landlord over there, he actually went and found us basically the building that we're currently in. It's in Conroe, which is just outside Houston. It's a little town there. And uh, we're very lucky he was able to kind of switch us over to the bigger building. And of course, now as we keep on developing and people keep on shipping newer items, as well as then people who've already shipped stuff are shipping older items as well that are obviously been selling them and doing well with them. That's caused that issue of like, we might have to get another warehouse again, move warehouse or whatever. And uh, that's, I suppose, the challenge of the freight company is just you're constantly, you're constantly coming up with capacity issues. So that's why we haven't gone outside of our user base. It's also just a great lesson for business owners, you know, providing services to clients to really solve problems that like are really common to your clients. I suppose that's the freight company has done that really, really, really well. And so, yeah, it's a really exciting business. I'd say that will become our main company, if you want to call it that, as time goes on, as well as our services end. But the freight end is the big, I suppose, opportunity that we're going after. And it's providing the most value to our clients as well, because we're actually helping them dramatically reduce the cost of their shipping from China because we actually do our own, what we would call commingled containers, which basically just means we put on the container from China, we put all of our own members' goods inside our own container, and then we ship them to those different locations versus a freight forwarder, which would be, you know, they would have access to a container, it wouldn't be their container necessarily. And so then you're simply renting that little piece of that container at a really high premium. And that's the problem that Superhero Freight solves. 
That actually does make sense. So it's almost like real estate, like you have a building, but yours is a freight container and then you know all these people who need it, right? So instead of you going through some other person, I guess a Chinese company or whatever, they're able to go through you. So those are kind of the three companies that you talked about, but so do you sell products on Amazon? Wouldn't that be a fourth company or do you not even sell products on Amazon anymore? We do sell products on Amazon. We sold a number of our product lines to our members actually. We decided to partner with them instead. And the reason that that happened initially was we've been growing Marketplace Superheroes now since 2015. 2014, we started the idea of the project. But what happened was early days, like we did not expect the training business to kind of take off as fast as it did. So we were running our Amazon business and doing well, but then we had this other training thing happen at the same time, which, you know, was very lucrative business and successful. So for a period of time, to be honest, back in 2015, we took our eye off the ball because we were trying to juggle too many things. And so then we brought in some team members then, which enabled us to really harness that and do well with our Amazon business, which we traded for for a number of years. And then whenever we had some members in, people kind of said, look, we'd love to partner in any way. And then we thought, well, if we sold some of our product lines to our members, they'll actually take care of it because at the time we didn't have any team in our coaching training business. So they were they took that on and we and we actually did sell it to a lot of people. I suppose the cumulative revenue of all the partners I'd have to look up. I don't know the exact number, but it would be a couple of million, maybe two to three million a year. But yeah, we have our hand in Amazon businesses continually. And we're actually putting our own money down continually because we believe obviously in the process. And not only that, at the end of the day, like if we don't actually put our money where our mouth is in products, well, then we're full of shit, right? And uh, I don't know if you like me swearing or not, but I suppose, uh, yeah, that's where we are now. Yeah, I, I don't give a fuck if you cuss, by the way, so go ahead. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's very good. Yeah, and the other thing was, I think you provided a roadmap, and like you're saying, that's what I was skeptical, even the first couple of years to having any Amazon business on. Because I was scared that they'd be full of shit because every podcast that was coming out, that's part of the reason I started a podcast. But now actually, I understand how the whole process works versus if I probably would have interviewed any Amazon businesses in the very beginning, I probably could have been like taken for a little joyride as far as not knowing if they were full of shit or not. I agree. Now I'm very confident in vouching or understanding your background. And I think you've provided a roadmap too that that's the reason I asked if you sell even Amazon products today and you said why. And it seems like you've made that transition from just doing your own products to helping other people do them. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I think it's important to really state that our freight company, for example, just, just a good example of that, we've invested millions in that now. I mean, our Canadian warehouse we just opened, it's up in Alberta, like there in January. I mean, that was $750,000 to basically open the door of a warehouse. And then, of course, we ended up uh, yet again, we didn't expect the amount of people who wanted to ship there. So we ended up actually filling that warehouse and we need to take the one beside it as well, which was great, but obviously it's challenging. So I think as well, like there's a lot of people out there teaching Amazon in inverted commas, but there's not very many people putting their money where their mouth is. And so to me, it, through investing in partners, actually putting millions of our own money into the services, well, we're really saying to people, we believe in this model. We also know that there are drawbacks to the model, like it's Amazon's playground at the end of the day and stuff like that. But if you look at it overall, we're getting to plug into a marketplace where there are millions of customers and there's millions of products. I think the problem with most Amazon courses out there specifically is they're just courses. And you can't be successful in this business if it's just information you're going through 
you're going to have to ship products. You're going to have to get a trademark done because we actually provide legal services as well with our partner, Robert Wright. He's based out of Kentucky. So like people need these real things because you know, the days of just going on to Amazon and slapping up any old product and not having a brand on it and whatnot, those days are over, long over. But if you take it seriously and again, like put real money into a business, like I'm sure for yourself, Austin, you, you see a lot of people trying to tell you you can be really successful on Amazon and start with little to no money. And I'm here today to tell you that that is a lot of bullshit. You're going to be investing at a minimum two to five grand to launch a product. But really, you're going to want to be in a position where in a relatively not short period of time, but in a period of time that's not like years, you're going to want to be able to put your hand on 10 to 25 grand to buy a number of different products. And you're going to also have to understand what products you're even investing in, because I see lots of people recommending items that I would say are way too competitive and we wouldn't even want to import them into our freight company because they're just going to take up room in our warehouse and they're not going to be successful. So we have to train our, our members in such a way that they're going to bring in products that make sense. And equally then, it only makes sense, sense long term if we're able to continue shipping those items. Because if not, you know, at the end of the day, like we don't have a business long term because there's only so many people who are going to want to learn to sell on Amazon. And if it's not working for you or for your members, then no one's going to be interested because you're full of shit. Yeah. And we even discussed on the pre-interview what made you stand out versus, again, other Amazon courses and whatnot. Because if you just did educational stuff, I still believe like you're successful and whatnot. But then again, like you said, there's just so much of that shit out there that I'm like, I'm always skeptical. But once you started talking about like superhero freight, that's even a different aspect where you're saying, again, you're putting your money where your mouth is and there's more proof that like, hey, I'm actually doing something even added on that's kind of the newest thing that we're working on, like buying warehouses, it seems like, and helping these members. And so that's a different aspect that I think interesting too, that anyone who's listening, they could evolve. They can look at these different add-ons and what else can you add to people who are maybe members of your current company or, or service company? 100%. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the real key at the end of the day. Like, to grow a real company, and we are a company now that offer different products and services uh, to people. I mean, you have to have these different things that are going to help you survive long term. But also then you have to be very aware of the market and what the market sentiment is and all of that. Like we're very aware that when it comes to our freight company, like you mentioned, I think that's what legitimizes us over most other people. And also the fact that we're actually able to show our members how many individual items we're shipping at any one time, it gives people a lot of confidence and it gives people a lot of transparency that is not out there. And that's really important. I do think the days of just a course, for example, that's coming to an end really because there's so much information out there. And I don't think all information is made equal. In fact, I think a lot of information on YouTube is not that great because it's coming from people who have not got very much experience all the time, but they just have a loud voice and um, they've, uh, they've read a few books or whatever. Whereas, you know, real hard won experience and people putting their money into their pocket and building different things that help people, that takes a lot more than a course. And I think as a business owner, if you're looking at it and you're like, well, I could actually build a course program, whatever, to start my business as an educational component, I think an educational component can go into most companies. Like, I mean, we do provide software solutions to our Amazon sellers as well in that we have a thing called the ecosystem where people come in, they log their research that they're doing in there. They can uh, place an order with the freight company in there. They can get their translations done in there, all of that. Things like that, you know, 
you can do that in a lot of businesses. Just like bring the different products and services to one place that people need, make it really easy for them to be successful with what you're offering them. And just just understand that if you're referring people constantly to outside parties, that's a massive opportunity that any business owner should be very aware of and should be looking to get involved in. Because I mean, if you look at the model from Jay Abraham, who I did a bit of work with this year, which was amazing. You know, he talks about the three ways to grow a company, right? And for anybody who doesn't know what they are, the first way is you get more subscribers, more buyers, whatever, right? More people buy your thing, your lead product or whatever. Then you increase your average transaction value. So increase the average price of what it is you're selling. And of course, the third way to grow a business is to sell to your existing clients more often. And for us at Marketplace Superheroes specifically, that's the thing we've been very good at, but also we've not been just selling people things they don't need. Like, I mean, we just launched a, a virtual bootcamp, which is a great idea for business owners to take a look at, where we basically condense down the process of research and products into three days. And we bring our coaches on there. It's a whole virtual online event. And we do breakout rooms and blah, 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 which is obviously replacing the in-person experience. But at the same time, like we're solving a problem, which is I want to spend three days immersed in this process. There's nothing like that out there. And people are happy to purchase that because it actually helps them get along, get be more successful with whatever it is you're working on. Yeah, a lot, a lot quicker with people. So I suppose the point I'm making is no matter what business you're in, there's always opportunity in your business whenever you're really aware of who you're working with, who you're serving, what problems they actually have, and you actually provide solutions to the problem, not just something random that you kind of think they might like. Energetic Austin here. Are you tired of doing it all at your company? Are you looking for an easier way to onboard and manage remote employees? Well, JustWorks makes it easier for you to start, run, and grow a business. Let me tell you how JustWorks can help your business. With JustWorks, employees can onboard themselves in minutes with simple software that makes a great first impression. You can give them access to national large group health insurance plans and handle payroll and PTO requests all on one platform. Plus, it comes with JustWorks expert 24-7 support for you and your team. JustWorks can relieve you of some of the administrative work you don't love, like taking notes on our podcast episodes, or things like running payroll, managing benefits, and figuring out state-by-state rules and regulations. JustWorks makes it simple to hire and manage remote employees across all 50 states. With JustWorks, you can onboard new employees with ease in an intuitive online platform. You can take the guesswork out of employee and tax regulations and requirements. You can access national health insurance plans so your employees can get coverage no matter where they live. You can also get help setting up sick leave policies and administering harassment and discrimination prevention trainings that comply with state and local requirements. Save hours on time tracking the sinks with your payroll. Plus, access 24-7 expert support as well as certified HR consultants to get answers to your questions whenever you need them. Manage your remote team and run your business with confidence. Find out how JustWorks can help your business by going to JustWorks.com. That's JustWorks.com for more info. Energetic Austin here again. And you know what? Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening could be time better spent growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster. And it's free. 
You know, there's no better feeling than making the right hire. Hiring the right person will save you so much time that you'll be able to listen to every single episode of this awesome podcast. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people. Focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash millionaire. That's linkedin.com slash millionaire to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Do you mind if we get a little bit more personal and then we'll rewind it to how you got started with all this in business? Whatever you want, sir. I'm here for you and your audience. Absolutely. You married, have kids? Yeah, I'm married. I've been married since 2016. Met my wife back in 2007. So we're together quite a while now. I took my time <laughs> getting married, uh, just making sure it was right for the two of us, because obviously it was, I was growing the business. I was traveling a lot and stuff like that, and we were trying to get settled. We have a little two-year-old son called Harvey, who is great, and uh, he is two years old, so anybody who's a parent knows that's an interesting time in a child's life. But yeah, I definitely would say I'm a family person. I do really love my career, I have to say. I love doing what I do. I love being involved in all the things we're involved in. At the end of the day, I mean, you know, money is a tool. It's a very useful tool. But, you know, having family and great friends, that's so much more important. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but I used to hear people say things like this, you know, money doesn't really motivate me anymore. I used to think like, what a load of bullshit. Like this person is just, I mean, what a lie. And I suppose as our different businesses have all grown and evolved, like, I mean, I make a lot more money than I ever made in my life. But I actually don't personally draw a lot of that out of the company simply because I'd rather keep building the thing we're doing, keep providing stuff. But at the other side, then, you know, if you're just working all the time, I'd hate to be one of those people that never gets to see my kid, never gets to see my wife, doesn't have any ability to, you know, just say, hey, let's not do anything today. Let's just go and spend some time together or whatever. So, yeah, I have that part of my life in check in a big way. And there, my wife is amazing. She was diagnosed with MS, actually almost two years ago now, which was a big shock to us just after Harvey was born. And of course, with things like those diagnoses, diagnoses, I should say, you never know what way it's going to go. Like, and I mean, I remember at the time thinking, I mean, is she going to be in a wheelchair? What does this mean? And uh, thankfully, she has one of the lesser aggressive types of MS, which is so far through a bit of diet change and medication and stuff like that is controllable, which is great because she runs our whole family life. She takes care of Harvey. She's amazing. And without her, I couldn't do a fraction of what I'm able to do in my business life. So I'm really grateful to her. And I, I tell her that all the time. It's really important to have somebody in your life who is a partner, as well as obviously being your husband or wife or whatever. They are so important to give you stability, you know? Does she work with the business at all or no? She did for a little while. We We tried that out for a little while. And it just didn't work that well because she's so so busy at home, Harvey and stuff like that. And she would any any minute she would have, he was napping. She would like do some accounts or something. But I just said to her about 
six months ago, I was like, you know, just there's no need for you to do that anymore. Just don't, because, you know, anytime you have, you want to be spending it with Harvey, you don't need to do this. We can have somebody do this part of it for us. So, yeah, so she's not involved anymore, but she is involved absolutely in terms of running life and making making it possible for us to do what we do. She actually is a trained school teacher, but she decided not to go back to school whenever Harvey was born. And also with her diagnosis, like sometimes she can be tired during the day and things like that. So going back to be a teacher wasn't really something I wanted her to do. And she decided that she didn't either. Yeah. So she, she's, um, she's awesome. You know I mean? She's great. That's why I asked if you were married. I'm like, it's either you work with your sister or your wife. I, Cause I saw her on the page as far as what she does there. <laughs> well, that's interesting to me. That's, that's my sister, Lisa. Yeah. I think you're talking about. <laughs> well, I don't know. Ireland, maybe y'all get a little kinky, marry your sisters. Who knows? <laughs> so you do work with your sister. Lisa. Yeah. Oh, that's your sister. Well, which, who's your wife? Yeah, Danielle. Okay, see, that's what I didn't know. I didn't know if Lisa is your sister and your wife's not on here. Nope. Danielle is my wife. Lisa is my sister. Oh, now I know. See, I had no clue. I thought Lisa was your wife, too. <laughs> oh, I've got, yeah, yeah. I'm married to my sister and I have a separate wife as well. Ireland is definitely a strange country, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So how's working with your sister then? Yeah, great. We don't spend very much in each other's company at the moment because obviously the pandemic and everything. That's been very challenging for everybody. We don't really get to see each other all that much. But yeah, she's great. You know, she does a lot of the operations. So from that, I would mean she makes sure that emails go out in our different businesses. And she structures a lot of the marketing campaigns that we put together. And she manages all of that. She is a fantastic organization expert. She's so good with systems and things like that. And yeah, we have a good relationship now where business is kind of the business time. And then family time is kind of the family time. So when we see each other, we're, we become good at sort of saying, this is family time now. We're not going to talk about business because that's the thing. Like if you're just talking about business all the time with your family and all the rest, I mean, God, you know, you'd never get away from it. And I, I think it's important as a, as a business owner to get away from the day to day. I'm not going to say hustle because I don't really think that's the right word, but just the day to day working life. It's just good to have a separation. I do think an integrated life is important where you integrate your business and you integrate your life together in some way. But I do like having that separation as well. Like, for example, I prefer not working from home just because I feel like if you're working from home, you never get a break. You never get away. Whereas when I come to the office, I sneak to the office now, of course, because we're still in level five lockdown. I don't see anybody here. It's just good. You know, it's like just a separate place to come. Then when I go home in the day, it's home again. And it's not like some never-ending cycle of business because that's just depressing. Yeah, I'm feeling you. That's why when I was working from home pre-pandemic, I mean, it was hard to do during it, but it's like I would always make sure I went to the gym in the afternoon to break it up mentally, you know, because or else you just kind of get suckered in. And then I feel guilty sometimes. I'm like, uh, was I efficient enough today? Maybe I wasn't. <laughs> and then you end up working longer, try to make up for it. And it's a bad spiral. So yeah, you really do mix the... uh family and business then yeah as far as uh i guess having your sister and your wife in there at one point but you said there was like 70 something people so it's not like you're interacting with them a lot it seems like no and that's been a real challenge too like i mean again i'm a big fan of jay abraham's work i study that a lot and um, one of the things he talks about is the strategy of preeminence right where you are seen as a trusted advisor to your client and all of that if anybody's into jay's stuff you know what i'm talking about that's the main principle of that idea. But the other idea there as well is then that your team then, 
you're the advisor to your team members as well. And, you know, when I started this thing with Robert, when all we did was sell on Amazon, when I started back with him, which is, it feels like a lifetime ago when I first met Robert, which is 11 years ago now, at 2010, we first met. Myself and Robert, we never really wanted more team members because when I first met Robert, he had about eight staff and two different warehouses in the UK. And they were both separate, like they were in two different locations, just up the road, one of the warehouses was, and the other warehouse was, was the main warehouse. And I suppose during that time when I was learning initially about selling on Amazon, selling on eBay, we didn't obviously have any training business back then. It was interesting, you know, because I got to learn a lot about dealing with team and kind of the difficulty as well of dealing with different people and having processes and then people not always following the processes. I remember whenever, Robert, we got to this point where when we first decided, look, let's just go fully just selling on Amazon. Let's sell in multiple countries. Let's get lots of different types of private label items into stock. Let's just focus on that. We did that for a couple of years, just as the two of us. It was great initially because Amazon, for anybody who doesn't know, like with their FBA service, you essentially don't really do much of the day-to-day operations. Amazon do a lot of the day-to-day operations for you, like they ship stuff out to customers on your behalf and things like that. And back then, Amazon didn't have this thing called the IPI, which is their inventory performance index, which basically just nowadays means you can't just send 2,000 units into a warehouse. You have to send less in, which is obviously another reason why our freight company's done so well, because people need a pre-Amazon location to store their products and whatnot. But anyway, I don't want to get off track too much. But the point is, anyway, going back to this whole thing, I remember Robert and I saying, like, we never want to have a team. Let's just keep it the, like the way we have it now. This is really nice and enjoyable. And certainly it was really enjoyable for those few years when we did it because we had gone from a lot of stress. You know, Robert had a previous business partner who fell out of a two-story window and damaged his brain. And so he was really difficult to deal with because he was almost like he had brain damage. Like, you know, he's like almost like bipolar. Like one second, he would be fine. The next minute, he'd be screaming at you and accusing you of all sorts. So it was a very stressful time for him and I because I was really just working with this guy every single day, learning. And we became almost like brothers, really, back then, in a real, real great relationship. So we started going on vacation then with our families to... Danielle was a girlfriend of mine at the time, obviously. She wasn't my wife then. We would go to, I don't know, Florida, right? And we'd go to Disneyland and Universal and all the rest and do all that. We kind of were doing the quote-unquote laptop lifestyle stuff, which is so cringy, but that's what we were doing then because that's what we thought we should do or whatever. And we had a great time, honestly. Like We had a nice little business. It was doing well. It was doing about $1.6 a year in revenue at a 30% net profit before tax. So it was, it was nice. We weren't taking all that, of course. We were reinvesting it back into the business and everything. We were making seven, $8,000 each a month. It was fine. Nothing too stressful. And then I suppose we got to that stage of we started telling other people what we were doing and showing people what we we're doing. And of course, Marketplace Superheroes evolved out of the back of that. And also it evolved out of the sheer, I suppose, frustration of the industry of people you talked about earlier, Austin, like massive promises, not giving people a specific roadmap, as you've used that word a few times, not helping people figure out profitability and whatnot. And we just kind of fell into that business really over time. And it is a business. So coming back right around then, we never really wanted team members in a way. <laughs> you know, but we've we've ended up there, you know? Yeah. And so that was 2008. I think you kind of gave us a preview too. 2010, I started working with Robert. Okay. Do you mind if I get a couple of questions in here first and then we'll rewind it to the beginning? Because that's always interesting to me. I guess 
First thing is, did you push the partner off the building to try to get the partner or what? <laughs> yeah, I was not there. You cannot prove or deny it. So what happened there was I, I started with Robert in, I think it was November 2010. It was when I first moved up to Northern Ireland. Previous to that, I had met Robert around the summer of 2010. And uh, my aunt introduced me to him. And so this guy, I don't know the exact date it was. I can't remember. But I believe it was just before that. He'd had his accident. So what happened was, and this guy wasn't in the business, wasn't involved at all. And Robert had got a lot of processes down and everything. And things were going pretty well, but it was still quite stressful because they were doing all the fulfillment to each individual customer at the time. And so then I met Robert in around August or so of that year or September of that year. Got to know each other over a few months. And eventually I just basically quit my job at the time and moved up and started working in the warehouse every day. So that's the timeline there. So I did not do that. No. <laughs> and you're saying fulfillment, just so everyone understands, that's basically just doing the shipping of it, especially again, we're talking a little over 10 years ago. Not only are you selling the product, but to me, that's just way more of a bitch to like package, you know, put the mailing label. Even today, if you think about it, like if I'm just selling your product, but if I have to literally go in, get a box, go find out where it is in the warehouse, put it in there, find out where it's going, put a label on it, go drop it off wherever it needs to be dropped off. If anyone's thinking right there, you're like, damn, that's a lot of like labor and it's not very efficient or sounds like fun, right? Oh man, I can tell you, I did it for a long time. And I remember when I, when I first went into that warehouse, I kind of thought I'm going to be doing easy stuff. He's not going to have me doing the hard stuff. And I remember I showed up, you know, and he's like, where are your work boots? And I was like, I don't have any work boots. I've never owned a pair of them in my life. He's like, well, you're going to need some. You're going to need some older clothes because you're going to be working, lifting these boxes. And I was like, what? This is an internet business. Like, you're selling stuff on eBay and on Amazon, like only in the UK at the time. I was like, that's not what I signed up for kind of thing, you know? And uh, But it was a great experience because, yeah, I was I was in the warehouse every day in the freezing cold winter. I would be picking and packing all the different items. We'd have a pick sheet in the morning. And that would show us all the different products that had been sold the previous day and overnight. And we would have to go and pick all of those items. Then we would have to obviously put them into packaging, label everything. So we printed all these big labels out, put them into big piles for all the, each individual product. And yeah, it was a lot of work. And there was two customer support team at the time, two ladies, Rosie and Sharon were working there back in the day. And they were doing all the kind of people, where's my item, right? 75% of queries are where's my item. So we were dealing with all of that and I was just doing a bit of everything really, just learning the whole thing. And it was a great experience though, but that's the thing as well, man. Like people don't understand just how much value you get from Amazon and from fulfillment by Amazon. Like it's a phenomenal service, but it's been clouded over the years because it's been kind of used by unscrupulous people to sell opportunities that are too hypey. But the reality of it is it's a great business. And I mean, there's a guy, I better not say his name because I'm not sure if he'd be happy with me saying it or not. I'll just say his first name. A guy called Clive was a couple of doors down from us. And he still, to this day, he just runs a business selling on Amazon and eBay. eBay is his main market. He sells car parts and car accessories mainly. But he saw what we were doing, selling all different kinds of products. And he started doing some of that as well. He's doing about six or seven million dollars a year. And you want to see the amount of, <laughs> the amount of team members this guy has shipping products every day. It's not a business I would want to be in. We much preferred the model of utilizing a third-party logistics like Amazon. Because yeah, it is a bitch. And I did it for a long time. And I answered 100, 200 customer support tickets a day at times back when I was doing that. And I've had all that experience as is Robert. So we've been there and done that even. And so Amazon FBA to us was 
massive deal. It's like, wow, we can sell globally, not just in the UK, and we don't have to pick and pack these items every day. We don't have to do the customer service relating to the delivery of the item. Like, that's amazing. And, and it truly is and was, you know? I'm very interested on exactly how you met your partner and how you got started. I know you said with your aunt, but we'll talk about the timeline there. But I had a quick question. This kind of leads up into it as well, because you said you were just outside Dublin, Ireland at the time. So at that time, yes, I was living in Meath, which is just outside Dublin. That's right. No, no, no. Sorry. Apologies. Uh, my brain just was stopped working for a second. No, no, no. So I would have been living in Dublin at that time, 2010. I was living in the center of Dublin, actually, in Dublin 4. And <laughs> that's another bloody story. I was living in a decent house at that time. But just before that, when I first moved to Dublin, I was living in a street called Camden Street. Anybody who knows Dublin knows Camden Street is like kind of a wild street, a lot of uh, bars and things like that. And I lived in a house with 10 other people, which was awful. And funnily enough, one of the guys I lived in, he didn't live in the house with us, but he used to DJ. So you might have guessed there was some ridiculous house parties. I know people might say, well, it was awful, but I was trying to work in a job during the day uh, as a data processor in the government department. So these guys, most of the people who lived in that house would come home at two and three o'clock in the morning from their buyer jobs. And they were all just having fun. And I was like coming down like the loser dude. It was like, could you please stop talking? <laughs> could you please stop breaking glasses and shouting? That was a really interesting experience. And then I moved to a nicer place with a friend, Chris, then. And so when I met Robert at that time, I was actually living in a decent place, just in a place called Haddington Road, which is, again, for anybody who knows Dublin, it's actually in a quite a nice part of Dublin, Dublin 4, which should be known as the posh part. But I, I was working in that data processing job, and I really didn't have very much money at all because we had a nicer place. He was working in a better job than me. My friend Chris was. So I was fine, but I just wanted more in my life. I was so bored. I didn't like my job. And that's where I started looking for opportunities. What's something I can do? How can I get involved in businesses? So that's the timeline there. And were you in your early 20s and had you gone to college in Dublin or what had happened up to that point? Yeah. So my late teens, I studied in Wexford, actually. We have a small college here. It's called Carlo IT is the actual college. That's what it's known as, but it's obviously not in Carlo. So it's Wexford campus, but Carlo IT like run the college. So I did two years there. I think it was 19 when I started that. And I, I did two years, a business certificate. And my second year, I actually got student of the year, which was pretty cool. And I actually had just moved to Dublin whenever that student of the year had kind of come in because obviously the year had to end and everything else. I came back to collect my award and I was living in that house with 10 other people at that time. I started working in my little temp job and then that became a more permanent job. Yeah. So I was like, a, you know, like a lot of people list that maybe are listening or whatever, you know, I, I was just a clueless dude who was working in a very basic job. And before that, I was trying to make it in the music industry. I was trying to be a rock star and that didn't work out, but that was my real goal. And so the only reason I did a certificate in business was because my parents were bugging me to do something in college, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. My parents never had very much money, you know, they were not wealthy, and I didn't want to waste their money, so I didn't actually go to Dublin there. So I thought, I'll go to Wexford here. And really, when I was in Wexford, man, I tell you, that's where I got my love of business, really. It started in there. I started reading a lot of business books, like, you know, I was reading Porter's Five Force Analysis and all these really, like, theoretical business books. I started just getting into it. I was like, man, this is so interesting. Like, it's amazing how it all just makes sense and it's cool. And 
I was in the college library, which was tiny, like would not be like anything you guys would ever have seen if you're in college. I did that, as I said, I did that for the two years and I was really into it. And then I did a third year uh, studying marketing actually in DIT, which is uh, Dublin Institute of Technology, which was just down the road from where I used to live with the 10 other people, which was handy. I was living there and I, I did a night class of that because the band had ended and everything else. And I thought, right, I better just study something because my parents again were hassling me, you know, do something. And I get why they were doing that. It made sense. It looked like because the band wasn't going to work out. And so I finished that, but I never did my fourth year because during that year of studying marketing, I realized, wow, it's like business and marketing. I just really love this topic. But if I'm going to do anything now, the band is over. I'm going to want to do my own business because I just that was just something that interested me. And of course, you know, was looking into the four hour work week and whatnot, as a lot of people do back then. and was kind of going that way, getting very interested in the muse and all that. Right. And so that's what got me into just sort of Googling around constantly, you know, how to make money and how to, how to become an entrepreneur. And of course, started buying a lot of these different, you know, courses, about affiliate marketing and everything, because I just thought that's the only way to do it. I was so clueless, Austin, I swear. Like, I mean, I literally thought if an idea was already out there, I just couldn't do it. So I would like Google ideas. And if I found a website that that idea was there, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's another one gone. It was so stupid, like, but I was, I really was very, very green and did not have much knowledge outside of the theoretical stuff that I'd been studying. So that taught me a lot too for me about college. It was like, I have a lot of theory, but I have no practical experience. So when I met Robert then through my aunt, which we can talk about, because that took a little bit of time. Well, yeah, tell us then. Yeah. So from about the time I was about 22, I was just buying all these courses and doing nothing, like doing zero. Like starting into it and then just, just giving up. Because again, being really green. And I got to the place where I thought every business on the internet's a scam. Everything. So, <laughs> so then I was like, so what's left then if everything is a scam? Which isn't true, by the way, but that's what I believed. Yeah, so what have you thought of our group call so far? I like the group call so far. I like how insightful it is. And it's kind of an extension of your interviews. That's how it feels. And I think that if anybody has a real project they're working on, they can benefit a lot from it. One thing that made me want to join was when you shared the first group call. And I heard that episode and I'm like, this is a nice little community. It's friendly. It's genuine. And so that was helpful. My last name, which is, is a very renowned last name on the island. There are only two branches of this family. One is extremely rich. What I mean by rich is this family they're billionaires. So that's you. I'm the other brand. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you want to be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to jump on a call with yours truly and discuss how to become a billionaire, well then join Patreon today. But it's also not a bad assumption too, because like you said, even when you look back, you might sound like you're green and might sound silly of what you thought, like if you saw one idea that it's already taken. But so many people, when you get started off in any subject of whether it's business or something else, you know, a lot of people think that, right? So now you look back and you're like, dude, okay, just because one person's making this product doesn't mean I can't also make it, you know? Yeah, it's the opposite. <laughs> but like you were saying too, even if we're just talking I've referenced Amazon courses, but I'm glad you said something about affiliate courses. And you probably know about even a lot more courses back then when you were getting started that were rips off because it seems that way. 
they overpromise you on what they can do. So that wasn't a bad assumption by you either. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember the Rich Jerk was the big one back then. Do you remember that program, the Rich Jerk? No, I don't. But I'm glad. Yeah, name some of them because they're so long ago that they're probably not even around. Yeah, that's the only one that stands out in my head. That was like the one that I remember really looking at it. Now, I'm not saying that's. I'm not calling anything a scam here. Just to be clear, I, I'm not saying that. And also, I just googled it. It said the Rich Jerk, and then the very first Google search <laughs> is the Rich Jerk review. Does this program really work? Question mark. So, <laughs> you know. If- yeah, but you know, I'll tell you what's interesting about that program, right? Is that it was re-released, I think, three or four, maybe maybe it's even more than four years ago now. I'm actually not sure. If you go to YouTube, you could probably search it. They, they got Gary Busey to actually be in a trailer for, for it, right? I mean, look, it, it was a very well-marketed thing for people that were interested in it. But here's the thing I will tell you about that program. Looking back now, lots of people did build kind of like SEO businesses and things like that off the back of Rich Jerk. But I just never did anything with the material because when I looked at it, I just thought this is a pyramid scheme, right? I believe that. I'm not saying it is a pyramid scheme, just to be clear. I'm just saying that's what I believed at the time. And I know a lot of people who are very well known now on online for different reasons. I mean, one person I remember associated with the program, if I'm incorrect, I'm happy to be incorrect, but I'm almost certain he produced material in the second iteration of Rich Jerk is a guy called uh, Ryan Moran. He runs capitalism.com now. He's a very well-known online entrepreneur, much bigger following than I have, a very well-respected guy and has written some really good books. And again, I think, I don't know Ryan, but he seems like a really great guy. And I know he got his start with that program. I'm not sure what he did. I think it might've been some kind of drop shipping or something, but I, I'm not 100% sure. Point is, lots of people did build businesses off the back of that. And there'll be, I'm sure there were varying types of businesses. I'm sure some were better than others. But point for me was I never did anything with that material. And I just got to a point where it was like, okay, well, if I am assuming everything's a scam, what's something that I understand? So for me, it was just selling products. That makes sense. I understand the concept. I can feel good about the concept. Like, I mean, you know, I didn't have to go and tell my friends about some weird opportunity or anything like that. It was just really clear where money was made. And at the time, I got really swept up in the whole dropshipping craze. And it's still a craze. And, it, and again, dropshipping is a legitimate way to build a business. I'm not saying it isn't. It absolutely is. And what is dropshipping, just so everyone's on the same page too? Yeah, no problem. So dropshipping means you find suppliers who have products in stock and in hand. You then set up your own website or your own way where you can get these products in front of potential buyers. Those people buy the product from you But then whenever they buy it from you, you go to that supplier and say, Austin has bought this product from me. Can you send it to him? Here's his address. You give the address to the company, the supplier, and they send it out. And obviously you've charged more money than you're paying the dropshipper. So you keep the balance. There's huge dropshipping companies out there. Again, it's not, I'm not saying it's not legitimate. I got swept up in it because I thought it was low risk. I wouldn't have to put much money in. All the things that I try to teach people not to look for nowadays. And I talk about the reality of those, of wanting those things. But that's where I was. So I was going through this for about two years, messing around. Didn't like my job. And you were in Dublin still. You had not talked to your aunt about your future business partner? Nope. I'm doing, this is like two years of this kind of thing. Still working in my job. As funny, actually, I, I used to, during my lunch hour and work, I would be like Googling around different things. 
and <laughs> like eventually it was funny because they actually stopped you from being able to use Google. So nobody could use it. So I remember being so annoyed. And smartphones weren't even really that big back then. I, I don't even remember what phone I had, but I don't think it was a smartphone even back then. So anyway, yeah, I, I really was felt very stuck and very lost. And, you know, the band thing was done. And I was like, right, well, what do I do now? And I got to that point and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go down this drop shipping line. So I bought a course back then. I'm trying to think of the name of it now. I remember it was like a little guy. He was like a little... Einstein type character was on this thing and it was a good program I think it was related to that company what are they called just kind of think of the name of this business now but they're a well-known company for you I think they were called Worldwide Brands I think it was called was the business back then could have a different name now and it was just all about product research so it was talking about going to eBay and looking at expired listings and stuff like that I started going down this line and thinking okay this looks like it makes some sense I could maybe do this but again, I had no belief in myself at all. I had no experience at all. So I started building all these ex- excuses up. Well, I have no experience. I can't do it. It's too hard. I'm never going to be successful, blah, blah, blah. And I became really depressed. Like, honestly, I, I really did. I was eating bad food. I moved house and in the middle of this, like I mentioned, to that nicer place. I got friendly with this guy, Chris. I met Chris actually as a friend during that night course I was doing in marketing. And we became really good buddies. And certainly when I moved house, life was a little better. But I was just going to this job every day. And I was like, I just don't want to do this forever. I remember actually saying to the people in there, how can I progress in this department? And they said, well, someone has to retire or someone has to die. And I was like, right, well, that's not good. So obviously the public sector was not going to be for me. So around this time, I was getting into a lot of personal development as well. So I started improving my health and I was reading books like The Success Principles, which I still love, by the way, from Jack Canfield a phenomenal book. And the big thing that I realized at this moment in time was I've got to take full responsibility for everything that's happened and for everything that's going to happen. And at that time, I realized, you know, by me going through one of these programs and not executing on anything, I wasn't taking any responsibility. I wasn't seeing things through. But I also knew if I'm going to be really successful, you know, I'm going to need to find a, a mentor. Now, around that time, then I stumbled across selling on Amazon and things like that. And so I got to a place where I had a go of my first product myself. I can't even remember how I imported this thing. And it was a a cream canvas wardrobe is what it was. And I private labeled it. I put my own brand on it, but I just copied everybody else. I used a tool called Terapeak at the time. It was an eBay research tool to bring this product in. It didn't work very well for me simply because I brought in something that was identical and too competitive. But I sold it out and I got my money back. And that was at the moment then when I said, I need help. I need someone to show me how to do this thing. I'm not going to be successful on my own. I'm not going to execute fully. I've never built an entire business myself. And that's where I started asking people for help. And my aunt caught wind of this through my mom. It's my mom's sister. She's from Northern Ireland, my aunt is. And she said, I've got this guy called Robert who sells stuff on Amazon and eBay. Would you like to meet him? And this is when I was almost... I think I must have been almost, yeah, I know it was coming up to that timeline that we covered earlier. So I would have been 23 around that August time, like I mentioned earlier on. And yeah, I went up to the warehouse. It was freezing cold, even though it was August. But man, it changed my whole thing because it was like, I finally see real products being sold to real people. And I thought, I can learn how to do this. This is not impossible. And that's where I got my initial spark from. And on from there then, 
Robert gave me a lot of hands-on experience, obviously in the warehouse, as I mentioned. And real quick, yeah, before we jump into that, this makes sense to me too. Like you're saying, if you're comparing like affiliate marketing and stuff where you're getting money per click for sending somebody to a different website or whatever, at least you got your money back on doing it yourself when you said you did your first product, but you realized, okay, what you're doing makes the most sense to me. If you bought all these different courses, you weren't sure if they were going to work or if they felt kind of scammy or sitting, trying to sell your friends on certain pyramid scheme programs, those are the worst. You know? <laughs> I never did that, just to be clear. Well, neither did I. I had one friend who sent me something at the time. I think he's in college. He's like, yeah, I'm part of this. Just to let you know, it's probably a pyramid scheme. But in case you're wondering, I'm like, at least you're being honest up front. But I, I think it's way worse for women as far as the friends selling friends makeup supplies and shit like that, where they're buying all the inventory and not actually making a business. And like you were saying, it's so hard to find someone with a legitimate business. And it seems like, yeah, your aunt finally introduced you to someone where maybe you're asking for online business help and how you could sell products and how that worked. But before you jump into that, this was the main thing I was curious about is like, you said she was in Northern Ireland and you were in Ireland. Yeah. So is there still like, and people might not know that those are different countries, right? So um, Northern Ireland is still part of the United Kingdom to date. There's six counties in Northern Ireland, up at the, uh, obviously in the north of the island. And they've got their own government, but they're still controlled, if you want to call it that, or part of the United Kingdom, which includes England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. It's all a different currency up there. And my mom, like, she was brought up in West Belfast, which would be traditionally known as a very Catholic area. So Catholic and Protestant, obviously, two main religions up there, which is where a lot of the trouble starts from, right? A lot of fighting, civil war in her history and things like that. And so she, she lived through what was called the Troubles in Ireland, which was a time of civil war, basically, where both Protestants and Catholic people from Northern Ireland were fighting each other and killing each other. It was a terrible time in, in Irish history. So, yeah, that's my aunt and a lot of my family still live up in Northern Ireland. They're in Northern Irish. And so I'm from the Republic of Ireland here in Wexford, and I still live here. But I did live there when I first started working with Robert. Then I lived there for nearly two years initiate my aunt and then I moved out to my own place. Because that's what I was curious about because we were both younger at the time. And I remember kind of seeing something on the news like late 90s about it. So you're saying even when I just Googled that the Catholics versus Protestants, because you think everything's pretty friendly, even like Ireland. But then I'm like, dude, what the hell is going on in, in Ireland? And now I found out it was Northern Ireland like later on, I think at some point. But it's like, why are these guys bombing each other and stuff like that? You think it's pretty peaceful, but what was really going on from your advantage point? Because you are obviously over there, even if you were younger. Sure. So you've got different groups in Northern Ireland. Like you got the IRA, which are the Irish Republican Army. And you have on the other side, you got the UVF, Ulster Volunteer Force. So these are the two kind of like, it would have been two almost like militia. Some people might call them terrorists, different factions that really were fighting. And the IRA... They would have been what we call Republicans, so they want Ireland to be a single country, and they essentially were fighting with, so much with Protestant people, although yes, they were, but more so, they were fighting against the Union, the UK, because they wanted these six counties to become part of the other 26 counties in Ireland. So that's what the fight was over, and they were saying, we want this island to be united, and the Loyalists, which would be more Protestant, and would have had the UVF as their kind of, I suppose, version of the IRA, if you want to call it that, right? They basically were saying, we want to remain part of the UK. We're loyalists. We're loyal to the crown. 
We don't want to be part of the rest of Ireland and uh, we don't intend to be. So that's obviously where the tension comes from when you have two of those opposing views. And that's where all the fighting was over. And it was, and you guys can definitely look at it. I mean, it was a proper terrorism and guerrilla warfare. And Belfast itself was bombed countless times. My grandfather ran a furniture business up there and it was actually a big furniture business. He grew it over time and he ended up having to basically vacate the factory because it was actually between where the Protestant Catholics would have kind of met. He was in the middle of this and he was, the British army came in and just said, look, you're going to have to leave here because you're not safe. So he lost his business really during that time and they were doing very well. And oh man, like the history is, is incredible. It's also incredibly sad. And I'll say today, Jad's still divided. Although I have a great relationship with Northern Ireland because of my mum, been from there. We spent a lot of time there as a kid. And still, some people in Ireland would be afraid to go to Belfast. But nowadays, we fast forward now, 2021. You know, Belfast is a great city, just like Dublin. There's very little fighting now. All of that's over, ended in the Good Friday Agreement. So a lot of these fighting really ended many years ago. Sometimes there's whispers of things happening, but it's a very safe city nowadays. But the history is pretty shocking, actually. Because I'm looking, it's like three to 400,000 people live there. Was all that fighting going on in like the middle of the city? Mostly, yeah. Okay. Because that's pretty crazy to have like a developed city. And then that's what I've always remembered. I'm like, it looked like a nice city from far away, but then you'd hear bombings and stuff going on. I'm like, just like, what is going on? It seems like they're civilized, but then they're not really acting that way. Yeah, I I suppose most people like anything, right? They wanted to get along with life and didn't want any of this. But there's always these factions that were battling and there was, and the British army were obviously involved because they were trying to stop people from being killed. And obviously they were trying to avoid bombings. But uh, just to tell you really quickly, my grandfather, so I told you he had the furniture company and one of the drivers was actually kidnapped one time by the IRA. And uh, they got a phone call to say, we have the driver. We're not looking to harm him, but we want your van, basically. So they took my granddad's van and they parked it outside a hotel in Belfast, very well-known hotel. It's actually the most bombed hotel in Europe called the Europa. And the van was across the road from there. And uh, it became a whole thing. You know, the army was involved, police were involved. Long story short, the van did explode and it actually damaged part of that city that day. Thankfully, no one was hurt or, and the driver was released hours later. But yeah, like my, my family, they, they were, they saw a lot of real stuff, like real shit, like, you know, and that's, that's a long time ago now, but that's the kind of thing that went on. Yeah, it seemed like it stopped kind of at the end of the nineties and going into two thousands, but 20 plus years ago, but that's the most I can relate to as like being close to the U S as far as like bombings and something in a civilized place. And especially since you were there, I was just curious of your thoughts and how it worked when you got there and whatnot. Do you know the U.S. though? I'll tell you what, the U.S. has been a great friend to Ireland for many years and continues to be. And that time, Bill Clinton, think of him what you will, you know, a lot of people have different opinions about him. But he was instrumental in the peace building process, actually, as well as a lot of obviously Irish politicians. But from the U.S. standpoint, he had a lot of involvement. And you actually notice even nowadays, you know, whether you like him or not, President Biden is um, really pushing for that Good Friday Agreement to stay in place because of the Brexit and stuff like that that's happened where the UK has left the European Union. So there's a lot of this is even, there's no terrorism or anything happening, but there's a lot of these things still going on today. 
And uh, America is actually heavily involved in that with Ireland because obviously we have so many people in America. As we always say, you know, we kind of infested America, Irish people did <laughs> over, over the time. And, you know, I'm sure you know, maybe I don't know your own background, but a lot of people, millions and millions of people in America have got an Irish heritage, you know. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I and mean, like you said, now it's pretty calm and hopefully stays that way because it's been that way for, you know, 20 plus years. But what vantage point do you come from, whether you think Northern Ireland should be part of the whole Ireland and country of Ireland, or do you still think it should be part of the UK? I don't think it should. And the only reason I say that is because I believe it's about 65%. I could be wrong on that number, but I believe 65% of people who live in Northern Ireland actually work for the British government and different roles. And I just think it'll be a very difficult transition because in, in the Republic of Ireland here, you know, we're constantly trying to get rid of people out of government positions because we have too many. So to bring a country with so many people in that position across into our system, which is already not great, I think it'd be very challenging personally. I've not, and again, like I love Northern Ireland. I'm, I'm half Northern Irish, if you want to call it that, right? And I, I've spent a lot of time there. I have loads of friends from there, but I, I've come to that conclusion. I don't think it would be a good thing economically. While we are very close, our cultures, not everyone, but in many cases, our cultures are different to people from different parts of the North, you know. Also, as well, you have to appreciate the fact if you were brought up as a loyalist, right? You don't want to be part of Ireland, I should say. You're very much a British person. I know many people are, and that's fine. That's their right. Like, would you want to become part of Ireland if you classify yourself as British? And I would say no. And I think that's not fair on those people either. So it's a very complicated topic. My opinion would be better just that we, we wouldn't unite, but that's just from an economic standpoint, really, and, and a cultural standpoint as well. Yeah, because again, from here, you know, I'm like, oh, it's all one island. You know, I just look at geography, but you understand the culture, you know, and so it's like, yeah, maybe they act totally different and, you know, obviously have a different monetary system, it sounds like. And like you're saying, more people working in government there versus the Republic of Ireland. So thanks for clarifying that. No, I'm, I'm glad. And by the way, one final thing I'd love to clarify. It's not St. Patty's Day. It's St. Patty's Day. D-D. It ain't T-T. So if we could get that going now, uh, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's at least one thing we can help everybody with on the uh, podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. So you talked to your aunt. Did you end up moving into your aunt's house up there in Belfast and then starting working with your partner here? I did, yeah. I didn't drive at the time. Robert used to pick me up every day and uh, we would go to the warehouse. And yeah, my aunt was really good to me. She let me live there for almost a year. And at that time, she really wanted her space back. And I understand that, you know, she was at the time a single woman. She was busy, you know, me being there is not exactly ideal, right. you know. So, <laughs> you know. It was, it was fun for a couple of weeks. Yes. Look, she, she kept me there for a long time. It's time to go now. So at that time, I had established myself working with Rob. You know, we built that real great bond. And I was selling a lot of stuff secondhand on eBay myself that was lying around in the warehouse. And yeah, we were making it work, Robert and I were. I was working in the warehouse, so I was providing value there. And then that was the time when we really started figuring out these different, how are we researching these different items? What can we bring in? What can we do? And that's whenever we started to really look to collaborate. And it was also the time when we started to say, you know, what if we just like didn't have these warehouses? We didn't have all these people. If we just sold on Amazon, we just sold globally, what would happen? And so that's where we really began to focus. Like I spent every day with Robert, I'm sure his wife, Suzanne, you know, we know we're, she's great, but I'm sure she was like, oh my God, this guy again. 
because we literally would spend all day working. We'd spend all day evening chatting. I was basically living with them as well. And it was an amazing time, though. I was really fortunate. Robert's a really great guy, you know. He's gruff, as people would say, right? But he's a really good heart. He looks like it in his picture. Yeah, he is gruff, but he's got a great heart, you know, and he's a great person. And he gave me my shot. Like, if it was, if I never met Robert, none of this would have happened. And obviously, he would say, if he had never met me, none of this would have happened. Because obviously, the marketplace superheroes side of things and all the marketing around that, that's a lot of stuff that I had studied and learned and never had a project to work with. And so after doing it for a number of years, and Robert's now selling online over 20 years, we felt like we had the experience and the knowledge to actually start talking with some base of knowledge. Whereas, again, as we've already covered, <laughs> we didn't want to be one of these guys who read a book and then we thought we were an expert the next day because we all know where that leads. How old was Robert? Because again, you're in your young 20s at this time. I was 23. He was 35, I believe I'm right in saying. He's born in 1975, so I think that's correct. So you thought he was old, even though now you're about to be 35. <laughs> so I remember Robert saying to me, though, honestly, I remember he said to me, we knew each other for a year or whatever or so, I think it was. And I remember him saying, when you're 35, you know, you're going to be in so much of a better position. Because he really believed in me, actually, and he believed in what we were doing. Uh, and at that time, we were only selling on Amazon, just to make that really clear. We were not doing anything else other than that. But he really believed that we had something and we didn't know where it would lead to, but we knew there was something there. And it's so true. Like, I mean, we often joke that we're like Lennon and McCartney, right? It's just like, I don't believe I could be as successful, remotely as successful without Robert. And I believe he would say the same thing about me. Maybe he wouldn't, but I believe he would just because of all the stuff we've done. And I also would say, if I never had met Robert, I don't know where I'd be. I could be still working somewhere. I don't even know. Like the amount of things Robert helped me get over as well. Remember, I was talking about how I was doing courses and not implementing. Robert forced me to implement more. And he forced me. I remember even I was looking to buy a car. I wasn't driving at the time. And I had to drive then because, you know, I was pathetic. I was like heading on for 25 at that time and not even driving. So he's like, look, dude, you have to get the lessons. And I did that. And then it's like, right, you got to buy a car now. And I remember I bought this Fiat Punto. I don't even know. Do you have Fiat's in America? I think you do. Yeah, I think we do now, but probably not till like, I feel like five or 10 years ago. Well, they're awful cars. Don't buy one. But I bought a Fiat Punto. It's a horrible little car. So like, let's call it $2,000 for this car, right? And at the time, you know, we were still building up. I was learning. I had a bit of money there, but you know, of course, I didn't want to put the money down, right? And he's like, think what that will do for you. So even these principles of like, don't think about the cost, think about the return, think about what you can do with that now, had such an impact on me and it completely changed my life. And they're the exact lessons now to our clients that we have. And they're all the lessons that I'm constantly banging on about. And I get so frustrated whenever, and I, I understand it too, there's so many people just like me who, you know, had, a, oh, I'm going to make 10 grand a month or whatever. And it's like, oh, okay, well, number one, how much are you going to invest? And number two, how many products are you already selling? Well, I don't really want to invest anything and I don't have any products selling. And it's like, right, well, you're never going to get to where you want to be then because you've just not got the right mentality. Even today, I'm still working through some of the old beliefs I had and breaking some of those beliefs. And uh, it's a constant journey, but Robert is still, I still speak to Robert every single day. And I just, I'm so lucky to have met Robert. So I've listened to a number of podcasts and I actually... The guy that runs U.S. staffing services, I've been talking to him about doing some work with him with one of my businesses in the States. So I've linked in with people because of it as well. 
So it's been fantastic, like the, the kind of network you get. And I decided to increase my subscription to gain access to your extra Patreon content. As you've said in some of your adverts, it's paying it forward. I mean, obviously it's, it's hard for you to, to monetize what you're doing on a mass scale. So I've decided it would be a good investment to get access to this stuff and join some of the group calls uh, with the other Patreon members and get access to better content. I was looking for some sort of community where I could get some ideas on business. I could find motivation, inspiration to pursue my own things. I've technically had my own business for 12 years now, but it's a really small operation and I'm trying to do something bigger. Being told just go out there and do it is very helpful. And that's why I joined. Well, let's talk about just even that first year because you weren't a partner the first year. You're basically kind of full-time employee, but where you just getting minimum wage or what were you getting when you're doing that for him? Apprentice, I would say, really. I wasn't paid anything for a long time. I wasn't getting anything. And where I began to make money was selling stuff secondhand, like I mentioned. That was great because he had loads of stuff lying around. It was a problem for Robert. So I was able to come in and go, I'll list it on eBay. I'll do all that. And I started learning how to do HTML and CSS and make better listings for eBay because it was just easier to list stuff on eBay if it's secondhand or whatever, but it's still fine. Like it's just, it's not brand new. And I was making some money there, making probably turning over sales of a couple of grand a month or three grand a month or something. Had to pay Robert back for all the products and everything. I was maybe making 800 bucks or something, like something like that, a month out of that. For a time, I worked in a bar at nighttime. So I'd work in the warehouse all day and then I'd work in the bar for a little while in the evening. And it was hard work, but I mean, I was committed like and I was dedicated and I was studying as well. I was learning. I was reading stuff like the E-Myth, which was the initial book that we based a lot of our systems on, which I'm actually, it's amazing how things come around. I've got to know Mark Harris, the current owner of the E-Myth company now, which is crazy. But yeah, that's really what was going on. And after that nine months, then we started transitioning more to, right, let's partner. And then we transitioned that business partner out, created a new company, and then really Robert and I kind of ate what we killed in terms of what we sold, which was really, really stressful because we were making each about 850 pounds, which is about $1,000 a month. Each need a family because we had to restructure and put everything we had back in because it was all or nothing. And I that's why I tell people like, don't quit your job if you're going to start something like this. Keep your job and do this on the side and build up to it. Whereas we had no choice because Robert had a family. It was every cent we had back into the business to get more new products in to kind of turn the business around in a short period of time. And that was tough, man. You know, uh, I remember my rent then. I had an apartment for myself. It was a lovely apartment. It was £475 a month and I was getting 850 So, you know, I didn't have really any money for fun or anything, but we, you know, we made it work and we knew where we were going. We wanted our business to be successful. And I'd say about 12 to 18 months after we started into that seriously, we were doing that $1.6 million-ish per year in revenue and we were coming out with, you know, a nice amount of money each. But it was, I was down on the docks. Like, I'd be down the docks. I brought my dad up and we were packing boxes on the docks before we brought the stuff to our new warehouse. I have done everything, as is Robert. I have divanned containers. I've done it all. So I think that's where we're more interesting than just some random person who's not really gone through the mill. We've been there and done it, and we've come out the other side. The main thing I mean, I'm hearing is like you were looking for that mentor 
I guess I assume that you said, hey, it's going to be worth me not even getting paid for nine months. I didn't know if you know had a timeline in your head how long it would be, but you felt like you needed this and this guy helped you persist and would push you. It's not like a four-hour work week. You're doing the exact opposite right when you started. It was. And, and, and again, when we turned it around, and that's on the other side of it then. So we're two years after I met Robert now, we've turned it around and we're doing well. Well, and one second real quick. I was going to ask too, do you mind, can we break this into two parts as far as the interview? Because I know we're about to get done with time here. And I feel like we're kind of a good transition as far as leading up. And now we'll get the timeline of year by year of how you grew it with Robert. Would that be okay with you? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. We can schedule a second time. But I guess before we do, do you mind if maybe we just kind of focus on this last year and then the transition? Is there a good transition point we can leave off? So if anyone want to tune in the next time of like what you learned after that first year and what a preview of what's coming? Yeah. So when it came to, I was getting to that place of like, we've done well now we're on the other side. There's a lot of things I learned and Robert learned regarding research and the different types of products that we were selling. And there's a lot of stories, which has definitely been really cool to get out today. And there's a lot you can learn in any business, really. I can talk about what we did there. Maybe I can even bring on Robert. Maybe he can talk a little bit about that. And uh, we could really document the growth of that and how we then transition into marketplace superheroes, if that's what people want to hear. But I think maybe bringing on Robert as well could be really interesting. What do you think, Austin? I'd definitely be down because I think we've learned so much up to this point that now we can get into the timelines of like exactly how you grew in. So people can understand the hard work of putting together an e-commerce business 10 plus years ago, because now it kind of seems easy if you're just behind your laptop and stuff. But you're actually alluding to all the physical labor you actually <laughs> even had to do to get that thing started. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd be delighted to go through all that and then talk about the things we've learned. And it's not as hard as it was then nowadays. And we've made it a lot easier. And I'd love to talk about that as well, just so people can understand that transition and how it's different nowadays. I think there'll be a lot of value there. Well, yeah, that sounds awesome. So everyone can, if they're listening now, can tune into part two and we'll have them come out at the same time. But if someone wanted to reach out to you and say thank you for doing the interview up to this point, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? To reach out to me, if you go to Stephen J. Summers on Instagram, I only tell people that because it's just that somewhere that this easily comes into my mailbox and I can see it. If you go there or even if you email Stephen at marketplaceSuperheroes.com with a PH in the Stephen, I'll pick that up. So Stephen J. Summers is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-J and then S-O-M-E-R-S for Summers. That's my Instagram handle. And then Stephen at MarketplaceSuperheroes.com. I'd be delighted to hear from people. Well, yeah, I appreciate you doing this first part of the interview. And if, if people were taking a pause, is, is there anything that up to this point in the story that you wanted to leave off with as far as if people were looking for inspiration or any last words of wisdom that you kind of have for them? Well, yeah. I would say if there's one thing I can tell people that changed my whole life and maybe I picked it up from my interview so far, it has been and will always be become a producer, not a consumer. And there's times when you got to consume for sure. You have to learn. But if you can produce four times more than you can consume, you get that nice 80-20 thing going where you're just getting things done and you're actually executing. I wasted so much time not doing anything and consuming a course or whatever. And just don't do that because you're never going to change your life. You're never going to get anywhere if you do that. I love that you said that because there's one quote I've heard recently from a guy named Jocko. And his quote that I've written down like that I look at every day is, are you producing more than you're consuming? Oh, nice. Right. So, I mean, we're getting it from two brilliant people, Stephen and Jocko, right? 
Well, I, I'm not quite at Jocko's level yet, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's really important because you even saying you buying these courses. And st- Again, we alluded to enough. They kind of sound ripoffs, if you will. Most of it, I think 95% of people don't even finish courses, right? They're just consuming and they're not even finishing the rest of their consumption and they're not producing whatever they're telling you to do in the course. So it sounds like this is the step that you took. 100%. I would say real quick on that. I do not put the blame on the course creator in that instance, right? I put it on me. And that was the big lesson from the taking full responsibility for stuff. That's absolutely vital. Um, But also one other final point I'd like to make. So sorry. But I think it's important. You know you found the right person when they have a unique insight about something. So a lot of stuff we talk about when it comes to selling on Amazon, it's completely different to what most people are talking about on YouTube and stuff like that. And we don't have as many followers as a lot of these other people do because our road is what I would deem to be the real road. And it's not as easy. And people don't always like that, right? They want some sugar. And I always say, it's fine to have sugar, but you need more broccoli than sugar. And so I would say we're the broccoli in this instance. And we have a very different way of looking at things. And if you're listening to people, try to find someone who's saying something a bit different than what everybody else is going on about. And they have insight because they have experience. And that's what you're looking for. And then you know you've got a good mentor. And we'll give lots of those insights on the next uh, episode for sure. Yeah. You got to take full responsibility. So anyone who listens now, and I've talked about that before, it's like, okay, if you haven't started, whose fault is it? Your fault. It's not anyone else's fault. If you're here to make excuses, then what are you doing? What's the point? You can make excuses for everything. So it's important that you saw that in yourself and that you're able to strive and make a successful business. So I appreciate you sharing your story up to this point. And thanks again for coming on. Cheers, man. That was great. Hey guys, Energetic Austin here. I hope you enjoyed that interview. The second part of the interview is actually available right now for all our Patreon members. Here's a preview of it. That's what good people do. And it was a privilege to to be able to impart my knowledge to him, thinking that you know he would go off and do his own thing and be successful. I don't know why this always sticks out in my memory, but I always remember at the time, Rob, you had uh, some breast pumps laying around that I sold. <laughs> That was actually, would you believe, that was from a friend of mine. That was the first product that he uh, that he sourced. We don't work very well when people tell us what to do, you know. Also, Austin, we're not foreign, you're foreign. All right, there you go. <laughs> so become a Patreon member to get part two right now. And by the way, become a Patreon member to get part two right now. And by the way, become a Patreon member to get part two right now. Right now. Right now.